0: Second reading from the New Testament letter to the Romans is the basis for today's message. Romans chapter 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who has delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This made
1: right concept, being made right includes our our sins being forgiven, bringing into the the kingdom of God as heirs, being made new and, and walking in a new life, being made right with God, and being made right with one another. In Romans, Paul digs deeply into this theological truth that apart from faith in Christ, there is no righteousness. It is only faith that makes us right with God. But how does this happen? Last couple of weeks, we've talked about having the right spirit, the right mission, and today we focus on the right promise. The chapters leading up to this text, Paul writes all about the the righteousness of God and, and how that righteousness of God interacts with our broken, sinful lives. The righteousness of God proclaims judgment of wrath and death on all unrighteousness, against the judgmental. And the conclusion is that no one is righteous. All are under sin. And God's condemnation is righteous and true. But then our text for today takes a sharp turn. And it stirs with us the account of Abraham, who is the father of all who believe in the right promise of God. And it's a promise that makes everything right just a little bit of a refresher on who was this Abraham guy anyways, God approached him in his home surrounded by family and said, I'd want you to move. Where? I'll tell you when you get there. And so faithfully, Abraham moves. God gives Abraham this incredible promise that he will out of Abraham and his family, produced this family that is many as grains of sand on the seashore or stars in the sky. He's visited later by three angels, one of which is the angel of the Lord who promises that Abraham and Sarah will conceive a son, even though he was in his 100s. Well, sure enough, a year later, an Isaac is born and only then to have Isaac start to grow and mature as a as a young individual for God to say Abraham I want you to sacrifice your son for me. And so faithfully Abraham marches up the mountain with his son only to have God in the last moment spare him. And then of course Isaac would be the father of Jacob and then Jacob would have the 12 sons that would become the nations of Israel. And then there would be the severe famine, and the nations of Israel would flee and find safety with Joseph in Egypt, and for over 400 years, work as slaves to Egypt. Abraham. Paul calls Abraham righteous, but why? I mean, Abraham was just like you and I. He made lots of mistakes. In fact, one time, even out of fear of this man, Abimelech, he was afraid that Abimelech would fall in love with his wife, Sarah, and want her to be with him. And so he would kill Abraham to take Sarah as his own. So Abraham has this idea that I'll just say she's my sister and gives her to Abimelech. He was far from a perfect man, he made plenty of mistakes. And still, it was not his behavior or his good work making abilities that was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith that was counted as righteousness. Paul writes, For the law brings wrath. Paul and John have a lot to say about the wrath of God. Here's just a small sample from the Gospel of John John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John writes in Revelation chapter 14, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. The wrath of God. Well, there's nothing like it. It is to be feared. And now let's let's not fall into the trap of thinking that God's wrath exists still to punish us sometimes when we make mistakes. That's Not a thing anymore. For those who find shelter in the shadow of the cross, the the wrath of God has already burned and consumed all. And there is nothing left. We are safe. See, God is patient and he withholds any punitive wrath until the very end. The mess of this world is filled with natural consequences of our brokenness and our brokenness just perpetuates more brokenness. See, we are beyond And in need of total saving. And the wrath of God is what we need saving from. And our sinful condition, we have no chance. And we will be lost forever unless saved from sin, death, and the power of Satan. So then we have the big question. How then are we saved? Well, we become heirs of the kingdom of God, the world put right. And this is more than just simply hanging on until we get to escape into heaven. and see, the salvation is something that has happened the very moment the Holy Spirit planted faith in our hearts, that we are saved today, now, that we are saved to live a life of freedom, joy, sacrifice, and renewal every single day of our lives. We are heirs, recipients of the inheritance And what do we look to inherit? Well, here on earth, we receive all our parents' earthly treasures when they pass. Yet in the kingdom of God, we receive the gift of full forgiveness, eternal life in the world put right in the full presence of the Lord at the death of Christ. And we have that now, just not in full. And unlike our earthly fathers and mothers who can whittle away our inheritance having fun traveling and going off on all kinds of spending sprees, our earthly father cannot waste away our inheritance. In fact, our earthly father can be so generous in sharing that inheritance with thousands and millions of other people and it doesn't remove or detract one ounce of the inheritance that he's given to us. And we can be so bold as to invest that inheritance, that life, that gospel message with the world, knowing that the more that we give, we still receive a full amount. So how are we saved? I'm going to give you two wrong answers to the question before I give you one right answer. How are we saved? Here's the first wrong one. I try my best to live as a good Christian. Now, there may be some of you who are struggling with that in here today, wondering if you have done enough to please God. I'll tell you, you, you have not. Paul writes, "For If it is the adherence of the law, the keeping of the law, are those who are to be heirs, then faith? Well, faith is null and the promise is void. You see, what he's saying is, if being an heir comes by perfect performance of the law, that not only is there no need for faith in the right promise of God, that God will make you right through the obedience of Jesus, well, then there is no need for Jesus. And his sacrifice was meaningless. Perhaps you think of your life as as a ledger book. And you've got credits and you've got debits. And you hope at the end, because the credits are written in black and the debits are written in red, you hope that in the end you've got black ink at the bottom That somehow all of your good deeds will somehow offset all of your mistakes. However, this is not how God judges us. You see, apart from faith, no good deed is ever considered a good work. And even more than that, James teaches that if we are guilty of breaking just the smallest, tiniest piece of the law, we are guilty of breaking every single command. See, our ledgers are filled with red and worthy of the wrath of God. And it's impossible to please God and earn our salvation through living a good life. Here's the second wrong answer. I believe in God with all my heart. Maybe that one surprises you a little bit. See, you can have lots and lots of strong faith that God exists, that he is loving, that he's holy. You can believe that the Bible is God's holy word. You can show great reverence for God, yet all the while seeking to be your own savior by trusting in your own performance in religion, in moral character, in vocation, whatever the case may be. And again, this still results in wondering if you've done enough believing. Do you believe enough? Well, James, unfortunately, pops that bubble for us, and he writes in the second chapter of his book, you believe that God is one, you do well. (laughs) Even the demons believe and shudder. See, believing in God is not the key to salvation, for the demons certainly have no hope. So what then is the right answer? That would be cruel if I just made this a cliffhanger and you have to come back next week. (laughs) But I'll be merciful. The correct answer is the right promise. Paul writes that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. Righteousness. You see, Abraham, we know he had nothing to boast about. Paul teaches that the faith that Abraham trusted in, that right promise made to him, was credited to him as righteousness, to count as righteous, right? To credit something or to count something is to to give it a status that it didn't previously have. Think about perhaps renting to own a house, You've been renting this house with a rent-to-own option that, that all your rental payments up for, say, the first five years, all of a sudden you decide, this is the home that I want to live in. I want to buy this home. Then all of those previous rental payments that you make become credited as mortgage payments. Their status changes. Right? And so it's not that the faith in the right promise is a good work that enables God to say, fantastic you did it I forgive you you have life and it's not that faith is righteousness because Abraham's life is an example of how unrighteous he really was it is considered righteous by God because of his faith God considers Abraham to be righteous he declares him righteous he counts it as if he was well, how did, how did Abraham, how did he do this? What were the steps that he did that we can, we can follow in the same way? And Paul writes three particular things that Abraham, or qualities of Abraham's faith. Number one, in hope, he believed against hope. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. You see, in hope, he believed against hope to believe the radical promise that God makes even when the possibility seems impossible. You see, we have a hope. We believe in a hope against hope that Jesus has received all of God's wrath on our behalf and has consumed it in full. We have, we have a belief and a hope against hope that we have been forgiven and set free. We have a hope that believes against hope that the Holy Spirit will empower the mission God has given to us to make disciples. We have a hope that believes against hope that Jesus will indeed return and the world will be put right. He believed in a hope against hope. The second factor of his faith was he grew strong in faith to be fully convinced in the promise of God. Paul writes, no unbelief made him waver considering the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He did not weaken. He didn't let the circumstances of the world tear down his faith. He didn't let the lack of probability tear down his faith. He stood secure and confident. And not only letting not the world tear it down, but he grew. He became more and more convinced and convicted that that God's promises would be fulfilled. It's a great example for us to follow those three things, to believe in a hope against all hope, to not let the circumstances of this world weaken our faith, or the news reports Weaken our faith, but in fact to become more and more convinced in the promises of God, the promise that your sins are forgiven, the promise that you are given, the gift of an heir, the inheritance of everlasting life that has already begun for you to believe that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, all that's wrong will be made right. May this give you a peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.